0: Welcome back to the reading and writing podcast. My guest today is New York Times bestselling writer, James Lee Burke, author of the new novel, Another Kind of Eden. Jim, welcome to the podcast. Well,
1: oh, thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, if someone hasn't
0: yet heard about your new novel, Another Kind of Eden, how would you describe the novel?
1: Well, it's set in 1962. It was narrated by one of the Holland family. Uh, in this case, it's the protagonist we first met in uh, The Jealous Kind. His name is Aaron Holland Broussard. Uh, he's, anyway, he's one of my favorite characters. and it's, This is another Holland novel. But uh, it takes place in an identic, uh form. It's a very large form, dairy produce form, uh, just outside of Trinidad, Colorado. But as we discover that uh, sometimes illusions are created for us uh, by ourselves and that we lead ourselves down a, into a dark canyon in this case, but it's almost like a lump story. Uh, it has to do uh, with social justice, but primarily it's not about the past. It's about today. And my, it's my feeling that 1962 was the portal into the times in which we now find ourselves. In,
0: in what way do you, do you think that in terms of 1962?
1: Well, it was the year of the Cuban Missile Crisis when we came to within two hours of nuclear war. And I think we've forgotten some of the lessons we should have learned back then, uh, if we ever learned them at all. But John Kennedy, three weeks after the Cuban Missile Crisis, before he told his people to stand down, uh, he said, he addressed the United States, and he said, this is a literal quote, had we had an exchange of several nuclear missiles with the Soviet Union, 185 million Americans would have died in the first three weeks. Then he did it anyway. He rolled the dice. Wow. Do you ever still sure. think? It' was just still there, it hasn't changed, Mr. Putin's around to ensure that
0: Do you remember the original idea of that led you to writing another kind of Eden? well uh
1: i I don't want to get into politics i, I It's not a political novel it It's about who we are and uh, this is the greatest nation in on the earth. And I, I have great fear, not just simply for our nation, for the planet. And we're in a terrible state of uh denial, I think, about the fact that we're just using it up. But if we're not using it up, we're simply writing. But we're cutting down our rain charge, our American West is burning up and we've given it, uh, oh, kicked the whole issue, uh, to the curve for an awful long time. People give it rhetoric for not, nothing changes. And, uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm sitting right here and smoke all over Montana. And this is the new climate. This is, this is every year. It's since 1990, huge amounts of glacier park have melted. You know, that's when I think climatologists, uh, begin, have marked this year or 1990 as the year that is a new and very long drought and it's man made. We have to stop pretending otherwise. We have to stop pretending. It's, it's like the vaccines. I I, I can't understand this. Um, people who will get vaccines to prevent the loss of their own lives and the lives of their loved ones. I just do not understand. I, I cannot understand that. I, I grew up during the days of polio. We were frightened to death of polio. And when the so vaccines discovered, we were just dancing in the streets.
0: Yeah, it's, it's amazing.
1: That's it. That's it. How do you sell, sell us an idea like that to people? Somehow they're going to be injured by the vaccines that have worked uh, w- without an exception that there, there seems to be not one incident of death there, there was something i think i saw one survey or study that showed that three people in a million had some trouble with the inoculation but it was because of the meal they had some reaction it. that it works for god's sake wrong What would be the, what would be the purpose in the United States government in, in cultivating lies to the electorate, to our fellow Americans, so that they can go out and be killed with toxic vaccines? I I don't know. I, I I've never I've never heard anybody explain it to. Them. Sure. Yeah. Well, I know that you have
0: written the uh popular Dave Roboshow series, but as you mentioned, another kind of Eden, your brand new novel is one of your Holland novels. I'm curious, are are the Holland novels written from your own experiences in your own life and your own family?
1: Well, I think it, that's a good question. And It applies, though, not simply to me, but to all artists. My whole artist, I mean actors, poets, sculptors, filmmakers, it doesn't matter. Art is a separate category of experience, and it's a separate kind of truth. And every artist has a story inside it. But the story he has inside of him is one that he sees and hears around him. But a good writer is goodness, our person watches And the great drama is all within just a few inches of ourselves. But uh, I've never known where the stories come from, and I've never known where the characters have come from. I, uh, I know this sounds strange, but it happens to be the, the truth. I don't remember my books after I write. I, I go back to them maybe a few years down the road, and I have no memory of right? And It's always been that way. I, I think the story is buried in the unconscious. If I'm not alone. Uh, William Faulkner, right before his death, said, had I not written the stories, they would have been written for me by another hand. And uh, Ernest Hemingway said something very similar. He called his wife the night before. He shot himself over there in Idaho, Sun Valley. He called that Richards, the love of his life. And he told her that he had picked up the old man in the sea and reread it. And he said, it was like someone else had written. Well, you've, you've talked about the period in your own life
0: when you went unpublished after your first several novels had been published.
1: What kept you writing during that time? Well, that's a good question again, because I, I wrote for 13 years without, Uh, any hardback publications, and I was out of print. I I had a great deal of success when I was younger. I published with Charles Scriveners and with Thomas White Crowell and with Houghton Mishwa. I published my first novel. I wrote it when I was, I started it when I was 20 years old, and I finished it when I was writing. I was writing on a pipeline. I wrote while I worked on a pipeline. Twenty-three, but I never wanted to be anything else. I never quit because I there's nothing else I want to do. I never, I cannot think of an alternative. I can't. I I know where people say they retire, they they hang it up. I don't understand that. (laughs) Uh, I I, I always, I when I, I had a Smith Corona for many years. Little small one that I carried everywhere from one one ocean to the other, from California to Florida. But I've always said I'm going to have someone put it in the box with me. It's time for me to check out. I'm taking it Well,
0: it must be a lot different now, riding on a computer than on a small Smith and
1: Corona. Well. It, 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 the process doesn't change. I mean, technologically, yeah, it's, yeah. In the old days, we we had to use whiteout. Do you remember that? No, oh, I do. golly. Cartman paper. That was rough. A friend of mine, it was Bill Kittridge, right? He's passed to write. He said, it's the difference between uh, building the pyramids with your hands or using machines. <laughs> <laughs> But the creative process remains a challenge. That's it. Technically, yeah, it's sure easier to type on this computer sitting further off. You can erase things. Anyway, the old days were a lot harder. The the process inside. the, The church you belong to inside. That's it. You get into a, private church, private cathedral. That's where I got the title. for Blast Day Dave book. Show. Uh, it's a private cathedral, and you're the only person in the chapel.
0: Well, when you sit down to write a new novel, that first day of sitting down to a blank page, or, you know, as we just talked about, a, a blank screen, do you have an idea of the novel in your head already, or do you literally sit down to a blank page without an idea of like where the novel is going?
1: It's the latter. I do not have any idea where it's going. I know it's there. I see two scenes ahead of the story each day. I wake up with those. I know I'm going to write two scenes. I aim for 750 pages, and I do it. And then the next morning, I rewrite yesterday's work and then start today's work and aim for another 750. No days off for anything, nothing, unless some emergency or something I can't foresee happens. Uh, No time off. So you revise you revising constantly as you're as you writing? Always, always. Never stop revising. And I've revised books after they're print go back. And it's sixty fixed after. I did uh I did a re edited and republication of Lay Down My Sword Shield. So, uh, I thought I will an amends to the main character, a better guy that I I, I, I described. <laughs> well,
0: when you speak to aspiring writers or when you have taught creative writing earlier in your, your career and your life, what advice do you offer for writers who are trying to find the unique stories that they have to offer the world?
1: Well, that's another good question, and the answer is right about what you know. Doesn't mean you have to have done all of those things, but you have things in your heart carrying with you. Uh, an artist has to have empathy. He has to understand and appreciate the suffering of his fellow man, as he has to appreciate the joy his fellow man possesses, but. You have to have humanity. Uh, you cannot fabricate a story, and oh, you can you can do it and fabricate a story. Oh, you'll make a lot of money. Ever run at it? Uh, just manufacture something that you have no love affair with. Uh, usually, the work will be a failure. But it, even if a person gets it published, it's not going. Works. American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every every writer knows, and every artist knows, there's any, that there's a compulsion the writer or the artist is consumed by. It's not that you don't have a choice. You feel that you possess an exquisite moment of truth, and you have to put that on the written page or you'll never have any peace. You don't have any peace. You have to say so you want to stop somebody on the street, and you have to tell them this thing that's burning inside you. And if if you do if you throw away the guest or the or the obsession and try to put your life your vocation uh, it into a, a, a turn it into a but for your for your creativity, you'll probably be a failure at it. But no matter how much money you make, say out in the business or. Well, you'll never have it any any absence. I've never seen the exception. It works in another way. And the, the, the great enemy for all artists is the ego. And for a writer, the worst pronouns in the English language are I, me, mine, mine, and myself. inspired words. And <clears throat> what a writer Finds himself on a television show being interviewed and he's wrangling all his art are indicating that he, in effect, did all these things himself, that they did not come from some exterior source. He's about to lose his talent. He thinks he's at the peak of his career. Wrong. He's just gone over the the top of the mountains, and it's sliding down the other side. Now, the the ego is ruinous. It's not a virtue with a writer. It's necessity. Get rid of humility. It's it's an absolute
0: requirement. So have you started working on another novel now?
1: Uh, I just finished one. It's titled uh, "Every Robe," excuse me, "Every Cloak Rolled in Blood." Line taken from Bible. It's probably has my best writing. It's a sequel to the novel that is coming out tomorrow. It they, they can be read separately. They stand on your own. Same character narrates. Every cloak rolled in blood.
0: Well, I'm curious, given your knowledge of Louisiana and politics, are you surprised that more people in the media didn't draw parallels between Huey Long and Donald Trump's presidency?
1: That is the best question any journalist has asked. Nobody has ever asked me that question. Yes. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I find it stunning that, I I, I believe that Trump is an aggregate, uh, whether willfully or not. Aggregates uh, are descendant of Huey Long, George Wallace, Joseph mccourt These three men uh, had all of the characteristics, dictators, all on heaven's uh, pathology, pathological. in they... They were, in a in, in sense, maybe they were separate in their way, that they came out of different backgrounds than Mr. Trump. But Trump understands the same thing they did about people who are angry. And it's as though uh, Trump, because he used to see it casino for 20 years. He's been fleecing fleecing, fleecing people a long time, but he has a talent for putting a brutal thumb on the pulse of people who, one way or another, are looking for a a leader. Not simply a leader. They are looking for someone who will give them permission to commit heinous acts. And they'll try to skate around it, but, I mean, the followers of people like Law, Trump, McCarthy, they will try to convince themselves in every way possible that they are simply uh, admirers of a man who tells it like it is, and is going to stand up against the government, whatever. No. That is not why they want to be his acolytes. They want to draw blood. And Trump was the one who told, he told, go out there and do it. He told them, and they know it. And they're going to, many of them will have, when it's all over, will have ruined their lives. They're going to prison. Uh, They'll live in shame the rest of their lives always be trying to look let me put it a quick story uh remember the story of Emmett Till in Mississippi August late August 1955 he was what 16 17 years old he was visiting from I think Illinois down in Mississippi he whistled at a white man white wall and he was kidnapped by her husband and another white man. And they, they beat him bad. They, in fact, they, uh, they, uh, they his face was unrecognizable. They did so much damage to that boy. And they were put on trial there in Mississippi. Then the foreman in the jury, when he came out, gave their verdict, uh, He said, not guilt. And then he added, it took us 20 minutes to make, to to come to a verdict because we sent out through Coca-Cola's. In other words, took a long time, 20 minutes. All right, these two killers were turned loose on the street. What happened when it was over? I think it was uh, Collier's Magazine sent. A reporter down there to that little town to see. One year later, what had happened? Uh, both men had left town. They either quit their jobs or their. Like one of them maybe had a filling station trucking service. His job, his business, dried up. When when it was all said and done, the people in that town knew. These men are not like the rest of them. They have something different in them. They're afraid of. They know it. They're scared. Well, it's that kind of pathological mentality out there that is far too many. It's absolutely trite that we probably have about 31 to 33% of the population who shares both. Thinking and the agenda of those two clans kill that little boy. Uh, I've been around them, you have to all, all your lives. They're different, but they've grown in number. And I can't say what it is. My guess is it's pretty simple it's race. These are people who are profoundly dissatisfied with their lives. Now they've got a man who says, do He does it at his rallies. He told people to attack anyone that was heckling him. He said he would pay their legal fees. One instance, he told his followers to throw these noisemakers out. It's very cold outside. and He said, keep the coats. He talked about how he was going to have people charge you Guantanamo. He's a very cruel man. He enjoys, he, uh, I, I think, he's, he's far more dangerous than his ancestors. There's an explanation for Huey Long. He came out of poverty. He hated rich people. It was like he you know, southwest Louisiana in 1863. was invaded by Union soldiers under the command of Nathaniel Banks. They tore the place up. It was like Sherman going through Georgia and South Carolina. But Nathaniel Banks, I think, hated rich people. He was a bobbin boy in one of the clothing or uh, on one of the mills, clothing uh, mills uh, up in New England. And he got to eat He had New (laughs) Icaria. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, not just New Iberia, but there are people who you can, for whom you have an explanation. George Wallace was actually a pretty decent person until he ran the second time for uh mayor and decided he was going to throw all ethics, decency, all guns, and he paid a terrible price. So did Huey Law, and so did Joe McCarthy. They're, Trump is not a uh, s- student of history, and I I I feel I guess I don't know if I feel compassion for him. I think that uh, some something that uh, karma's karma. You don't know, you know, remember that it was back in the World War Two days? There was a great song. You don't get no bread with one meatball. <laughs> Somebody's going to have to explain that, kids. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the, the problem is ours, though. Men like this can uh, be in our midst. Our church is supporting. I, just, I, 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 I think it's shameful. Sure. Because it's not politics. It's evil. And yeah. a, a Republican, in my mind, is Dwight Eisenhower. Oh, any number of fine men and women believe in their party. That was the party of Abraham Lincoln, it was the party of Teddy Roosevelt. This, this man is a fascist, it's a fascist. It's not an ideology, it's equal. Sure.
0: Well, you're, you're well known for your Dave Robichaux novels. I'm wondering if you can recount the story about what led you to write the neon rain, the first Dave Show novel.
1: Well, I'm in this little period, 13 years and I couldn't sell ice water and hell. If my good friend Rick D Marina's novel was passed away. We were fishing in that. Oh, uh, the uh, Clark Fork river up here in Montana he said, uh, Jim, you've written every other kind of book. Why don't you try a crime novel? And I said, well, actually, there's crime in all my novels. I think, actually, that's how you look through the eyes of of, the, of almost any narrator. It's good and evil. This is what my work is about. He said, no, you've got to have a cop." I said, really? And he said, yeah, I man uh two months. I said, you only have to write two chapters and uh, you can get in advance. I said, well, think about it. And the next day, Curl, my wife and I and our daughter, Alshare went to San Francisco and I was down by um, Ferlinghetti's place, uh, City Lights Bookstore, and I bought a yellow legal pad. And I walked down to this outdoor Italian cafe. There's, you know, by North Beach. It was across the street. Beautiful areas. Across the street there was Catholic Church, I you know, art of espresso. And I started writing in longhand. And I wrote two chapters. And I sent them to my old friend Charles Wallerford in Miami, you know, it was a crime. And Charles wrote me back and he said, and I think he created character, Jim, that might be one of the most successful literary policemen in American life. He said, just, he said, he gave me a couple of uh, things to remember. He said, uh, don't let your character speak too much. Said, <laughs> the best line sometimes is the one you don't write. <laughs> Chosen's quite a guy. <laughs> That's great. Well, again, we've been
0: speaking with James Lee Burke, New York Times bestselling writer and author of the brand new novel, Another Kind of Eden. The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Jim, thanks for doing this interview.
1: Well, thank you, Jeff. It's really nice to get get with you again. Yep. Thank you.